The glory days are here to stay The 80s horror show Take a stroll down memory's lane It's time to start the show Oh, what a great time of year it is, everybody. Welcome to the Gory Days. It's been a while, but we're back, and we've got a whole lot of new changes coming down the pike. And before we get into any of that, uh, this is the Gory Days, and we might have to change our theme song and our tagline, because this is the show where we take a stroll down memory lane to remember our favorite horror movies from the 1980s and early 1990s. But today's movie is the first in a long line, hopefully, of uh, new changes here on the podcast. We are branching away from the 80s and 90s Primarily, we're still going to dip in occasionally every now and then into some good classic gems, but today we're going to be talking about a much more recent movie, recent in that it came out about 16 years ago, but certainly more recent than anything else. But I'm not going to spoil that. I have a very exciting guest here today. It's not every day that we get an actor on the podcast, somebody uh, in the industry who ideally is going to tell us everything that's going on. I had a chance to watch her demo reel, very impressive stuff. Uh, without further ado, the great Allie Weinstein. Hello. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing really well. Uh, thank you again so much for agreeing to be on the podcast. I'm really excited to talk about this movie today. But first, I want to talk about you. Who Who's Allie Weinstein? Where did you come from? Who Where- is Allie Weinstein? Where did I come from? Uh, I was born in New York City. Um, so my parents had spent a long time there before I existed. And then we relocated to the suburbs of Boston, uh, a very exciting place. Um, and then I went back to New York for college, stayed there a bit after graduating, and then I moved to LA about six months ago. Six months ago? Yeah. Okay. So were you doing acting during all of that, or are you a multi-hyphenate? I am a multi-hyphenate. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. I primarily studied acting for most of my life, um, and weirdly enough, my... Uh, high school had a film program, like, and I went to like a public high school. It was like a very random thing to have. Cool. Um, and I started acting when I was really young. I did the whole like community musical theater, uh, etc. What was the first thing you did? Do you remember? Ooh, um, well, the first time I was ever on stage. So my dad is a stand-up comedian. Um, and really? so yeah. <laughs> Does he like um, tour and stuff? He did when I was younger. Now he more so does writing um, for like other comedians or politicians and Anybody writes know? screenplays. Um, I'm totally blanking on his name. He often writes a lot of jokes for the guy who came second on America's Got Talent a few years ago. Um, I guess he was like this comedian. But it's so funny that comedians write jokes for other comedians. Like you'd think if you're a successful comedian, you could write your own jokes. I but... didn't know that was a practice until that Judd Apatow movie Funny People came out where it was Seth Rogen writing jokes for Adam Sandler's character. Oh, really? Yeah, like that was what the plot was. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, that's common practice. You can make a lot of money doing that. Yeah, for sure. It's like ghostwriting, but for other comedians. Yeah, yes. Um, but yeah, so I, my first time on stage was like my dad, he do a lot of like first night uh, performances. So that's like New Year's Eve, essentially. Um, like lots of towns host their own, like everyone comes. I and- love to educate the listeners on here. So I, of course, know what first night is. But for people who aren't indoctrinated, what is first night? Yeah, it's just it's literally like New Year's Eve celebrations in like any town or city. Okay. Like most towns and cities have them of like, oh, we're going to invite uh, like musicians and comedians and 
spoken word people like any kind it's of open performance thing it's open to the public um i know i mean i've been to a ton of them because my dad would perform at a bunch every year sure um but i know like boston has their own first night celebrations and oh. they do like a ton of stuff um, i gotta i gotta uh, key my brain in here when you mentioned boston it's not the band it's the town of boston the town of boston because <laughs> you're like boston has yes. i was like oh wow oh my God, that's so funny <laughs> um yeah i i wish the band itself just had all these new year's eve celebrations they're really gung-ho about it um no but yeah so he would perform at those and so my first time on stage was like during an intermission of one of his performances i went up this is when i was like maybe like seven or eight and um just did a bunch of like knock knock jokes for the crowd really but there probably was like 300 people in the audience like it was not like a small venue um and yeah great first uh uh gig yeah yeah it was a good time um i think people really took to me and my very random jokes about ponies and whatever else but um god that must have given you some confidence being around (laughs) being in that like space and having them support you like that for sure was it pretty much like that during your childhood just like uh cozying up to your dad and getting uh stage time whenever he tossed some scraps to you uh i I wish i think that's like what i tried to make it be but obviously like he has to do his job and could not invite his small child on stage all the time sure um but yeah i i started doing like uh like summer camp musical theater things but my dad for a long time was sort of my like pseudo acting coach um, because like he already knew how to do all that stuff Uh, and we did have like a small stage in our living room that was built out of like plywood and like wow yeah um so he would like practice his routines up there and then I would practice like monologues I feel like that's what people pay for in this city they'll pay to be in an acting coach where it's literally just a plywood stage like a foot off the ground and they're like oh thank you yeah (laughs) wait till next week yeah (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. so uh I just got it for free in my own home yeah yeah, and so um, how, how, do you feel like because you've kind of gotten that uh, access early that you have a jump on other people who, you know, are still trying to figure out how this works and jargon and what to do? Definitely. I mean, I think, uh, I mean, I'm still trying to figure it out, too. I think this industry has so many paths that it is next to impossible to be like, I know exactly how I'm going to be successful. Um, but I definitely think in two ways it was super helpful i mean my dad just already knew what you needed to be successful so like in that respect he knew i needed a demo reel and a website and like certain monologues and that i should be in a ton of short films like he knew all these things already um which was super helpful because like i know a lot of other people just kind of have to like google a lot and figure it out and hopefully find some sort of acting mentor elsewhere um and then on the flip side i think like Stand-up is honestly, in my opinion, the hardest thing to do in the industry. It is, like, the hardest Do you still do it? Ever. I don't... So, I have never done stand-up. Oh, I okay. am very, like... You like, just have a lot of respect for those who do. Yeah, because I, I've seen, like, my dad through all of the ups and downs of his career, which I think has honestly been one of the most helpful things of me going into the industry, is that I... I know that even if you have the highest of highs, it could mean the lowest of lows around the corner. It like it, nothing is guaranteed. And so I don't go into it with this kind of like star studded view of everything, which I think has allowed me to stay a lot more grounded. Yeah. 
um, and like practical than a lot of people being like, oh my God, I'm going to do this one thing and be famous. Because even famous people don't have that. Like it's like you could have a they very end up successful- writing a book or an album. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like you could have one very success- successful movie, but that doesn't mean that you're going to keep succeeding, which is a sad way of looking at things, but at least you know that. And, and then- the, and- At least you know, because like what you're talking about is obvious to like people who have lived here for a while and have been like kind of kept their ear to the ground of the industry and stuff. But a lot of people move here so green and thinking like, I'm going to be the next Renee Zellweger. And I, was that her name? Yeah. Renee yeah, Zellweger? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or I'm going to be the um, next uh, uh, Channing Meryl Tatum. Street? Or yeah, Meryl no, Street for or, sure. Yeah. I'm just going to sail into LA and I'm going to go to an audition and I'm going to blow them away. And right. yeah, and it can be years of that. And oh, so for sure. since you've had this front row seat uh, to see like the different avenues of the industry, where are you navigating yourself now? Do you feel like? Um, I mean, like you said, it's hard to nail down one thing because we all need to be kind of hyphenates. But generally, what do you like prefer? Yeah. So I so when I was in high school, and we had that film program. I also started writing. Um, oh. And so I I had always kind of been doing acting and writing in tandem, but everyone knew me as an actor and not as a writer. Um, but I figured out I so I in high school wrote my first feature as a part of like I like figured out some weird uh like I took my free period in school and made it like an independent study where I just like wrote a film um that's amazing yeah thank how, you how long was it you say feature like yeah it was like it was uh probably like 95 pages it was, it was like a regular length feature what, what was the genre was it horror um, no, so that is like that is why I was super interested in coming on the podcast because I I mostly write grounded sci-fi, um, and so but I very recently have become kind of a, a horror fan and I'm trying to navigate into that space. Um, so it's been something I've been trying to like critique and like be involved in more. Um, but yeah, so that feature was very grounded kind of like post-apocalyptic sci-fi. Um, and so that's pretty much like until pretty recently, everything I've written is grounded sci-fi. Um, so when I went to college, I went to Sarah Lawrence and it was, it's like an ultra liberal arts school yes, where you yes. can do whatever you want, essentially. Um, and so I, every semester figured out a way to have a, like an academic class where I would be, we have to do all these like final projects. Um, they're called conference projects and they're like semester long research projects. Okay. And um, so I would take an academic class every semester where the professor would let me write a feature for my project. Um, but it, amazing. it was always in like biology or psychology or anthropology classes. Like it was never in a film class, um, which I think was really helpful. Um, so yeah. I totally forget where I was going to help that. free yourself uh, from like being surrounded by other film students and stuff. It's nice to kind of take yourself out of that zone because uh, like I do a little writing too, hmm. but uh, it's, you know, it's mostly, yeah, like during downtime at work or things like, you know, when uh, it it's like working out, you know, you do it when you find the time. Otherwise, yeah, like, right, right. Yeah, yes, right. So it like gave me these built in, it not only gave me built in research for my projects because I was just like using the things I was studying in class to write the screenplay um but also gave me built-in deadlines that I had to meet and so it forced me to just like kind of bang out all of these scripts very rapidly um what a great situation yeah it was great so I was kind of doing that while I was in like three plays a semester and doing all these short films and like whatever so I I was kind of developing both at the same time um so that's part of my hyphenate I'm an actor screenwriter Um, and then I think 
after I graduated, I'd always, so because of this practicality that I had ingrained in me from childhood, um, I, when I was at Sarah Lawrence, also started doing internships in production. And then I kind of moved towards film distribution. So um, I interned at a few smaller indie production companies in New York. And then my senior year, uh, I interned at Magnolia Pictures. So it's more on like the distribution side of things. Um, And I was doing uh, more like marketing. I was like a marketing intern. Um, And then I, right after I graduated, got a job at IFC Films and I was in acquisition. So that was like my kind of introduction to horror movies in general. Um, But yeah, so I kind of was like, I'm going to, I made the choice to say, I'm going to take this full-time job for a year kind of put acting on the back burner for a bit um, and develop kind of the business side of my acting Mm -hmm. portfolio. So that's like when my reel got done and my website and like all of these things. Um, And, and like make sure that I had these more business side of film connections so that later on I could do creative things and have both the knowledge base of how to go about it and mm-hmm. the connections to make it happen. That seems like the game to play when you mentioned, you know, it's not spreading yourself thin. It's making sure that you ideally understand every part of what you're doing so that you don't need to grovel to a manager or to an agent or to, I don't know, a mentor or something. It's nice to have all of that knowledge for yourself so that you can make decisions for, I don't know, your screenplay or for your roles or whatever. Right, for sure. So I think like now with where I'm at in my career, I mean, ideally, like if I lived in a perfect world, I'd be doing all these business side of film things and be acting in a feature and writing my own TV shows. You know, it's like all of these, I mean, those things would be happening at the same time. But I think for now I've kind of settled on like, ideally I'd be a writer producer for like my own TV show and then cast myself in it. Cause I feel like that is the that would be, happy medium yeah. of everything. That would be a dream um, come true. Yeah. yeah. So where can people find some of your work? Oh, um, acting wise. Yeah. My demo reel, um, is on Vimeo. If you just search Allie Weinstein, um, we'll I add also, that to the episode description. Yeah. Yeah. I have a website, although Squarespace oh. did something weird recently and took it down. And so Ooh, I've yikes. been trying to get it, but I think it's, should be back up by now, but I'll figure it out. Hopefully okay. by the time this airs, it'll be working. But if you go to AllieWeinstein.com, it has like a little blurb about my scripts. And, um, but yeah, I haven't, um, I haven't had anything I've written made in a very long time. Like not since high school, partially because I mostly write features and because they're grounded sci-fi, they're very big budget. Yeah. Um, I mean, not huge, but still definitely like $10 million films. And, and plus it would still take a long time for that process. It's not like TV film is a much longer process, right? Where, like you have a good idea. Like it's not these Marvel movies. They, they, they announce them like six years in advance for a reason. But even so somebody could be sitting on like a script, like signs for 10, Right. And it'll take another like five for it to actually get made. Oh, yeah. And then 15 years after you've had this great idea, it finally comes out. Yeah. No, exactly. Um, indie features take literally forever. Uh, that is something I definitely learned at IFC. It's like <clears throat> we were seeing films at Sundance that like we had been tracking for like seven years. Oh, my God. Um, or something like, you know, it's like things, especially documentaries take forever. But oh, it's yeah. like. Well, that's an interesting one, because I feel like documentaries kind of have a time limit. There, For certain documentaries, there's a point where it might not be relevant or interesting anymore. No, that's definitely true. I think that they just take a long time to gather and develop and then edit, because you have 40,000 hours of footage, and yeah. it's just like, 
Um, I've always found that fascinating. The idea of editing a documentary together into like uh, 13th on Netflix was amazing. And I just so thought, good. and I just thought about, yeah, like how they smashed all of this together into this narrative that carries through the whole thing. Right. When it was just, you know, 13 separate interviews or whatever. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I think, I mean, I have very little experience in documentary other than like, I, I made a short, like a 20 minute documentary when I was in high school. What was it about? Um, it was homework. So, <laughs> I wish it was about, um, so I used to do figure skating for a long, like, that's right. Competitive figure skating and whatever, it's whatever. <laughs> um, and so my junior year of high school, the, so I skated at the skating club of Boston, which is like a very elite skating club um and so every year the skating club of boston does this thing called ice chips uh which is this huge ice skating show um and they invite olympians and it's like very fancy and so my junior year of high school it was the hundredth year of ice chips and um and which was the longest running figure skating show in the world at that so which is pretty cool um awesome yeah and so i made a documentary about like the hundredth anniversary of ice chips um, and it was like, I think after that, I was like, I have zero desire to do documentary <laughs> film ever again. It's so difficult. Um, but you were in the process, like you filmed and you interviewed and you put those questions together and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And I was like a little like host in it. I used it as like a hosting credit on my resume for nice. a long time. And then I took it off. See, like, this is how you do it. Listeners. You got to do it yourself. Grassroots. I made this podcast. You made that documentary. You can't wait for somebody to scoop up your ideas. You got to go out there and fan the fire right under your own butt it's do it yourself true. yeah yeah um, yes when i yeah just go for it you know people are 16. always really impressed yeah when you say when you can say oh i was 16 and i made a documentary and i was the host and here it is yeah i mean it's not a great documentary but it turned out decently well for like i mean i was filming it's like we i had like the camera that my high school film department had like still used like mini like cassette tapes oh, good to God. shoot on like and there were some that used sd cards but like this was like at a time where that was like not like you had like camcorders yeah. i guess but it's not the like Sony you had handy like, cam right you didn't have like all of the you, fancy like you can't get like a handheld black magic or something we didn't have 4k video cameras in our pockets back then oh yeah the, the quality would have been better if i shot it on the phone i currently have <laughs> than the camera i used but um no it turned out pretty well i mean i had a ton of help but it was like very um, like editing, especially like logging everything and then trying to figure out how to piece it together. Um, yeah, you did I did the editing of- yourself too. Yeah. Um, my mom helped a little bit in terms of like <laughs> logging all the footage because I was like, this is overwhelming. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I edited it together myself and, uh, yeah, it was a uh, quite a process. So, uh, how does your family, like, I, I imagine they're pretty supportive since your dad is kind of, I mean, not kind of, he's in the industry himself. So, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, I, I don't know. Some of my friends and things have trouble explaining to their parents that this is what they want to do and their parents would much rather them be, you know, like a lawyer or a doctor or whatever. How do your parents, they seem pretty supportive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, they are incredibly supportive, um, in every way, shape and form. Uh, I definitely think when I first, so I was, think I was in like 10th grade when I was finally like, I want to act and like, that's what I want to do in life. Um, and I think at that point, 
my mom reacted by being like, but I thought you wanted to be a biologist. (laughs) Um, As if that would like sway me back. (laughs) Because for a long time, I really wanted to be a marine biologist. Um, And and you just forgot. And you just need to be reminded. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, Oh, yeah. Like you had this passion once, Allie, that is a lot more stable. What about that? (laughs) Uh, But no, I mean, I think, and I think occasionally my mom still makes those jokes. I think for my dad, it was the opposite, where obviously he was very supportive of me following my passions, but also was like terrified for me because he's been through all the difficult things in this industry and like he didn't want me to experience that sure um so i I think they've always come from that perspective of like obviously being like worried about me because they're my parents but um no they're like intensely supportive of everything that i do um that's awesome yeah yeah so yeah so it's been great so grounded sci-fi you mentioned i've yes. been talking about this with people i've never heard it referred to as grounded sci-fi but it makes a lot of sense i assume well i won't assume what do you mean when you when you say grounded sci-fi what are the <laughs> themes what are you referring to sure yeah so i am referring to like anything that is near future um grounded in a reality we already recognize uh, you could very easily imagine it happening like tomorrow or 10 years from now and often is like derived from um current socio-political issues that have been magnified um okay so they kind of have like a moralistic uh angle to them i'm trying to think of some examples uh like elysium is that grounded sci-fi where we've oh, got a man. satellite full of the rich literally feeding off of the yes. poor back on Earth. Wow, I've not thought of that movie <laughs> in a while. Um, <laughs> I watch yes. a lot of movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think I always describe it as like, like my the stuff I write is very Black Mirror, um, oh, very okay. Handmaid's Tale, like super, super grounded. Um, and often, I mean, I think most sci like there's sci-fi doesn't exist if not to comment somehow on what is going on in the world. Sure. Um, I, I mean, mean, half of it is science. The other half is fiction, but science is right. very grounded, very real. Right, exactly. Um, and that's kind of what I love about it. And I think I focus a lot on um, kind of cha- if we changed one specific thing that people don't think about a lot, how would that then have this ripple effect across everything? Ooh, what's an example? That sounds fun. Um, <laughs> yeah, so. So I, the script that I kind of have been pitching around that I hope to uh, turn into a pilot is um, like a near future society where the government has created an anti-aging regimen um, that if you take it consistently, you can extend your lifespan up to 200 years. But uh, the catch is you have to start taking it at the age of 18. So it focuses on two characters who um, like one of them, it's like a decision you have to make. So it's like one of them decides to quote unquote live forever and the other one doesn't and how that affects their friendship, their relationships with their significant others, their parents, like because it's all of a sudden if you are 18 and you're like I'm gonna go to college I'm gonna graduate at 22 I'm gonna go live in the workforce and whatever and you're like oh now I'm gonna live to 250 I'll go to college when I'm 75 and like you travel the world for I don't however many years and so but like beyond that I mean that is like a, a life path thing to figure out but beyond that it's like we so all of this is based I wrote this script in a biology class where I was studying anti-aging and uh-huh. um, it's very much so a thing that many scientists are trying to figure out right now and on like from what I can see having any significant effect on how long we live would have to be the perfect storm of a million things coming together in the right way um, but I kind of wanted to make something that both commented on like, okay, if we have half a population living twice as long as we've expected them to, how does that affect the environment? How does that affect 
religion? How does, you know, all of these things. And it kind of reflects our reality where quite literally we enjoy longer lifespans than some people born into the squalor of a third world country and things like that. And uh, for sure. And it, right. And then it's like we have like 10 times the impact on our planet because of that. That's then affecting them more negatively than it affects us in a lot of ways. So it's like if we magnified that problem, then it would just be chaos. But I think a lot of people are like, oh my God, of course we'd all love to live longer. Um, well, an individual would love to, but population problems are like the first thing that come to mind with, yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. So that's where you start, but really it sounds like it's a character piece or it's about the people's relationships and how all of those things that uh, are happening in the world affect this individual and their relationships with their families and friends. That's awesome. Yeah, so hence the grounded. is like it's very grounded in reality, in the plot, in the character development. Um, yeah, and you never see them actually like, it's all in happening in the moment of the decision versus like seeing them at age like 60 and how they're feeling and it, it doesn't yeah. move through time it's just like them in that moment especially because if we ever created this anti-aging regimen um we'd have to like people think of it as and this is how it's depicted in movies that have explored similar things is like oh you take a pill and you can live forever and in reality we would have to work so hard at it yeah. and like like all the things i studied were very much so rooted in like how much exercise you're getting and caloric restriction so it's like how much you're eating how much you're not eating um like all of these like taking like superfoods and it would just have to be a combination of all these things that would take a ton of day-to-day -day effort which then like brings up like okay if that's the case like the only people who'd really genuinely do this are very privileged people who have the time and money to say i'm can exercise for two hours a day and then eat these very specifically portioned meals of specific foods it's like that is not going to be available to everyone um and that's kind of like the path we're heading down right now like this is definitely like a very real thing yeah. um that many many scientists are trying to figure out and so and they're getting closer all the time but um yeah that's amazing so grounded sci-fi. I can't think of a more grounded sci-fi, at least from this decade, than the movie that we're talking about today, which is M. Night Shyamalan's Signs from 2002. Um, so what we usually like to do is uh, give a little bit of context for the movie and then do a quick recap. And then we'll talk about, you know, what we thought about it, analysis, themes and all of that stuff. Um, so do you remember the posters for this and the marketing for Signs, 2002 Signs? Uh, I do it was Don't. that it was well that, i remember yeah it was that brown poster with the the signs and all of that but right the, the the point is that um it didn't feature mel gibson on it it didn't say his name and it didn't say like the director like from the person who brought you the sixth sense or the person that brought you incredibles right uh, incredibles unbreakable <laughs> m night Shyamalan insisted that this movie stand on its own like really? regardless of its star appeal or of its uh of his relation to the sixth sense because he was afraid that it would give people the wrong idea of what the movie is like oh Mel Gibson's in it. It's going to be some kind of, you know, action drama or, um, oh, M. Night Shyamalan, the guy from The Sixth Sense. It's just going to be The Sixth Sense again. I can't wait for that twist because that's kind of what was happening to him at the time. Uh, it's funny. We're on the other side of it. M. Night Shyamalan's had this rise and fall and rise again now that he's back making uh, Split and Glass, the new one coming out. Right, right. Um, but when he first came out, it was uh, uh, The Sixth Sense with um, Haley Joel Osment and Bruce Willis. And 
Do you remember seeing that? You've seen it, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah I've seen Six Sense. Took the world by storm right. and cemented him as like the twist guy. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, I feel like it kind of pigeonholed him for a couple years because... How can you... That's difficult to top because even though I knew what the Sixth Sense was, I think I watched it like later in life. I still watch it and was like, what? I definitely <laughs> watched it when I was too young. I remember seeing it <laughs> yeah. not getting it and yeah, seeing it again later. Right, right. Um, yeah, I mean, I, it's, I think, hard to top that twist. It's like the constantly mentioned example of a twist. It literally is. That came out in 1999. And people still are talking about like, and that that's become like a trope kind of of like, oh, he was dead the whole time or uh, right. Yeah, like, um, I feel like Parks and Rec references it like several times of like, he was dead. Uh, He was Bruce Willis the whole time. And every I feel right. It's always every comedy ever has said some version of I see dead people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, um, I don't know if you watch Psych, but they... they, I have seen a little bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's one episode where they're, like, eating Indian food, and it's really spicy, and (laughs) they're, like, dying, and Gus is, like, who's one of the main characters, turns to Sean and is, like, I see dead people, as if that, like, expresses how spicy it is. Anyway, one of my favorite shows of all time, but... um, Psych's a great show. Is that still on? No, no, no. Oh, they have their it, series finale? Yeah, although they keep they keep doing, uh, like, holiday specials and movies. There's, like, <laughs> like huge... Teasing. Yeah, there's a huge fan base. They're called Psychos. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so they keep they keep it coming along, but it ended, I don't know, years, like, six years ago. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure something will come back and, you know, they'll want to reboot it in a couple of years when we're in our 40s. Oh, my God, I know. So, yeah, he made The Sixth Sense and Unbreakable, both with Bruce Willis. Both had pretty big twists at the end. Then along comes this movie, Signs, uh, which basically doesn't really have a twist. Yeah, I, when I rewatched it, I was like, wait, they, <laughs> like, the the latter half of the movie is just them, like, hiding in the basement while the world is kind of... Things happen outside. Things happen, and then at the end, the alien comes back, but it's, like, so... And then the, them killing the alien is such a total spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, if you haven't seen the movie, sorry. <laughs> yes, let's been... ruin this 2002 epic for you. Um, but, yeah, it really, it was not as... Uh, high stakes as I thought it had been. No, and like uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that, but um, yeah, so, yeah. so I feel like he was pigeonholed because after this movie, it was uh, 2004, The Village. Did you see that one? I have seen The Village. I love The Village. Really? I... <laughs> it's a very derisive... Dis- divisive divisive movie <laughs> sure yeah i was not a fan i think partially because when i saw it this was like my freshman year of college and one of my best friends was convinced it was like the greatest movie no, ever and i wanted to like watch that. something else and and then she convinced all of us to watch it so i was like already annoyed and then i was like this is literally the worst movie ever i think what else would you probably one of the pirates movies was out at that time i'm thinking or something maybe yeah uh, I saw The Village four times in theaters. I what? loved it. Damn. I love Bryce Dallas Howard. I love Adrian Brody. I love uh, uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Everybody, yeah. in that, everybody in that movie. Um, but yeah, the twist is that it takes place in modern days. Once you, I'm going to be spoiling the twist to all of these M. Night Shyamalan movies. So yeah. if you haven't seen them, let me know. But um, yeah, The Village, the twist at the end, people were upset because it's like, oh, it's taking place in modern time. I think that's a good enough twist. Um, yeah, I but, I think so. But it was, I feel like a similar, I mean, I'm only vaguely remembering it as a movie, but a similar like slow burn as Signs oh, 100%. where you're like, what? Like, okay, things are happening. I mean, it's upsetting, I guess, in that the twist kind of doesn't really affect the story. 
like it it, it gives the audience like some context and you right. go oh but nothing really changes she still gets back she still saves uh joaquin phoenix and it gets wrapped up in a nice little bow and yeah. because she was blind she can't really convey to anyone else that there's civilization outside so right. it doesn't really go anywhere yeah. right so that's kind of frustrating then there was lady in the water the happening the last airbender after earth the visit and Split and Glass. And so th those last ones uh, from Lady in the Water to After Earth were pretty universally panned. Every single one of those uh, got terrible reviews. And I saw all of them. <laughs> um, but then The Visit, the one where uh, the two grandkids go to visit their uh, grandparents. And then the twist is that they're actually mental patients that escaped uh, institution, killed their grandparents, and are now posing as them. Oh. What fun. <laughs> wow. That's a lot. Um, but people loved it, apparently. Hmm. But, I, um, yeah. Did yeah, you see Split? I didn't. I, I saw commercials for it a lot, or, like, the trailer on TV a lot. But yeah. I think, I don't know. I had, like, weird feel, And this is actually, like, a strange, maybe not so strange, uh, because of society trope in horror that I've seen pretty frequently is, like, using like either people with uh multiple personality disorder or who are transgender mm -hmm. to as like horror characters you're referring to sleepaway camp no the famous oh yeah uh, it's a 1980 movie that we haven't done yet where the uh twist at the end is that the g girl at the summer camp is actually a boy who has been forced to be a girl by their mom and now they've snapped and are killing everybody oh my god and it's like trans made them crazy right yeah. and which is something but even in more recent like split like split or like i don't uh there was a movie i saw at ifc which i don't know if i can disclose but it was i mean it was made like last year and it was still like the two scary characters were someone who was clearly like mentally disabled and then another person who was trans or non-binary and like those were like the two horror characters and i'm like, really, really glad you bring that up because that is so problematic especially in these kinds of movies where you were painting people in like literally horrific light you you have a responsibility for representation's sake right no exactly and i think it's kind of ridiculous that even now we're using those people that I think a lot of people just don't understand them or he what they're going through. He literally has diagnosable disassociative identity disorder, and the character in the movie who's a doctor, a therapist, is the one pushing him toward, no, you're a superhero. The monks have taught themselves oh, to lower God. their blood pressure and stuff. And yeah, it's... It, it's literally doing damage because there are stupid people out there who take this as fact. Oh, and, for sure. And go around and type on Facebook what they've learned. Yeah, yeah, Um yeah, no, it's it's just kind of ridiculous. Especially, also, yeah, I called it multiple personality disorder, but now it's DID. Um, no, 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 it's to. fine. No, <laughs> I should have. No, year. I studied it in psychology and whatever. But um, yeah, so especially DID is super rare. It is like not, but it's always portrayed as this thing that is constantly happening. Because it's so interesting. It's, it's interesting, but it's just like very. I mean, it, obviously, people like really twist it to be what they want. Also, I did not mean to conflate transgender people and people did i just think in i think people in horror movies conflate them and yes. it's like not what that you know i don't think it's appropriate to no, do that i agree because then it reflects on society i mean movies are the rubric for which we determine what is normal in society and if we get enough movies telling us that trans all trans people are serial killers then right that's gonna have a 
detrimental effect. Right. Or that, or right. Saying people. I know plenty of trans people and none of them are serial killers. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And I think a lot of people, when they portray people DID, it like comes off as if they're another character of another gender, like that is what's messing with them. Like that's how it, is portrayed on screen, which I think is problematic. Like, it's Mm -hmm. just like, I feel like people in there, like the people making these movies conflate those two ideas when it's just like, that is not what that is. And it's just not. I sometimes wonder that way. I sometimes wonder that like some of these movies, I wonder if they're just, you know, blinded by money or if anyone in the room goes, uh, that's actually really bad. That's problematic. Well, I think so. Horror is like a weird genre where it's very unique unique and anything goes in a lot of ways and it is like the most produced genre out of anything especially right now we're in a huge golden age of horror it's amazing for sure and that is something that i learned when i was at ifc because ifc has uh ifc midnight and so a lot and i was in acquisition so i was watching just a ton of horror movies to see if we should buy them um really of ever like i can't like so many horrendous horror can get like really weird too yeah like mainstream horror is one thing but indie horror goes pushes all of those envelopes sometimes for sure and so but i did not before that like honestly growing up i was scared of everything um, of literally everything i hated horror movies i hated anything with any bit of tension at all um (laughs) never went to not scary farm uh no i well i did do um six flags new england did have like fright fest um oh, so cool. i would go to things like that but i that's like, funny because i can't handle those things oh really <laughs> yeah i like scary movies but i can't do it in real life yeah i don't i mean i think i probably was scared of them but i would go to like the kids version of things but i was terrified of anything like on tv or in film that was scary right. and i it, i don't think it was until i was like 16 that i watched an actual horror what was movie. it do you remember i watched insidious and that was nice like, which actually was a really good movie until it is. the end oh, the, the end is so weird. i'm so glad you agree with me on that because because yeah, it's a great movie. It yeah, really is. But it's very scary. The stuff, the the whole thing where they're in uh, the, the what what is the stupid name they give for it? Like the the really easy to cheat uh, to film, really cheap smoke screen stuff everywhere where Patrick is uh, is is looking for his son. Yeah, uh, and then the weird devil playing the piano thing. It just it... tiptoe through the tulips. Yeah, yeah. It's so. It was too much. I was like, why did you just ruin this perfectly good horror so movie with good. this weird and ending? And now it's spinning off into all these movies. Yeah. I haven't seen any of the other ones, but that was kind of the first horror movie that I genuinely watched and was like, and not like through my fingers and like my eyes closed most of the time. Awesome. Uh, that, and then I was like, oh, I think I can like survive this genre. But it wasn't, I mean, it, horror is not something I've like sought out in most of my life. Um, and it wasn't until I was at IFC and it was literally my job to watch yeah. horror movies that I was like, Oh God, like, okay. Like I am like really in this now, but then I ended up kind of gaining a lot of respect for horror that's done well. And sure, so yeah. now I really love horror, um, because I watched so many awful horror movies that I was like, Oh, the people that do this right. I mean, it's so effective. Um, you can't not develop a taste when you're ingesting that much. Oh yeah. Content. I probably watched like at least a hundred horror movies in a year. So, <laughs> um, uh, that's, that's amazing. So like what, in your opinion, through all of this research, like is the best kind of horror or the best scares for you personally? Uh, 
for me, I think I'm is it definitely grounded? it's grounded. <laughs> I yeah, I'm more of like a psychological thriller horror movie type person. Um, like I I found since I watched so much horror in such a short period of time, very little horror actually scares me anymore. Oh. Um, but. Right. So when I started at IFC, they were like, okay, obviously you should go watch a bunch of IFC Midnight movies so you know what we've acquired before, what we're looking for. And so I watched the autopsy of Jane Doe and was so scared. I, I haven't was, seen that one. Oh, really? Oh, it's great. It's like, um, it. I, I mean, the idea itself is like pretty out there, but it is, I won't like spoil the twist, but like the main premise is the... Um, the two main characters, they're a father and son, and they own a funeral home and a, what is the word for it? It's a morgue, but they are morticians. I don't yeah. Know. Yeah. I that's right. um, yeah. Yeah. So it's like a, like a dark and stormy night and, and the son is about to go off with his girlfriend and like go see a movie. And all of a sudden, like the police come bring this body to them of this like young woman who was found in the basement of a house like in a hole in the ground um and everyone in the house is dead but like there's no sign of forced entry and they just found this body of this young woman and they're like hey like can you rush do this autopsy because who knows what happened um and then because <laughs> that's really important <laughs> yeah yeah um and so Ooh, that's giving me chills oh yeah it is th- very effective and i i mean this was before i'd become like semi-immune to horror movies because this is like right when i started there so i hadn't watched a ton of horror but i i was like in this is when i was living in new york and i was like in my apartment and i was subletting and someone was like renting out their room to like an airbnb and we were the only two people in the apartment and i was watching this at like 11 p.m and i could not i did not fall asleep until like four in the morning oh my <laughs> i was God. like i was like i'm gonna die like and even I think one of the best parts of that movie is that, like, at the end, you're left with the feeling of, like, oh, my God, this could happen to me. Even oh, though it God. couldn't, but it, like, leaves you yeah. in that place. Yeah. Um, I feel like yeah. a lot of older, older horror movies like to do that. Like, they'll be, you know, oh, we have hearses waiting outside in case you have a heart attack when because you, you get so scared. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, no. And, yeah, so it kind of hits all that. But I think those... They could be sitting behind you. They're waiting in your shower when you get home. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, that's definitely... The, you're like, oh my god, this like Jane Doe is in my basement yeah, right now. Yeah, That's yeah. definitely how it leaves you feeling. So let's get into the recap. Yeah, yeah. Mel Gibson stars as Father Graham Hess, who lives on a farm in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. We discover he's a priest, only belatedly when someone calls him Father. It's not Father anymore, he says. Hess lives on the farm with his brother Merrill, played by Joaquin Phoenix. I've never heard of a man named Merrill before, but it's 2018. I'm going to keep an open mind. And his children, Morgan and Bo, played by Rory Culkin and Abigail Breslin, respectively. This was Abigail Breslin's debut, I found out. Oh, really? Yeah, she's amazing. She's so good. I loved her in uh, Little Miss Sunshine, uh, specifically, but she's great now, yeah. Everything that Farmer Grant Hess... Graham Hess assumed about the world has changed when he discovers a message, an intricate pattern of circles and lines carved into his crops. As he investigates the unfolding mystery, what he finds will forever alter the lives of his brothers and children. Of his brother and children. So that's the spoiler-free recap, but uh, sure. <laughs> let's break it down. Graham Hess isn't uh, 
preacher anymore. He's not a priest. Why? Because his wife died. From who? The director. Oh my god, I know. When I realized, <laughs> I did not realize that was a cameo until I watched, I rewatched it recently, and I was like, oh my god, M. Night, alright. It's so meta, and it's like, it's just bad, because do you you know the scene? So Okay, so uh, Graham Hess's wife died. The I say the director, but it's uh, a cameo. M. Night Shyamalan plays Ray Reddy, a veterinarian who lives in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, who one night fell asleep at the wheel and accidentally hit uh, Graham Hess's wife in such a way that she's still alive and like pinned between the tree. Do you remember that? Yeah. And then they're like, oh, but the second we move the truck, she'll die. Yeah. And the way we find this out is this, uh, it's a storytelling technique you see a lot where they'll pepper the important flashback information throughout the movie. And it's like not until the, the very climax do we see what she said and what actually happened. Yeah. Because uh, there's the first flashback where uh, he's just driving and it's it's a you know unique cut in such a way that you're like, oh, is is, is he just going for a drive? But then you see the collar around his neck. It's like, oh, this is a flashback. Um, and, and the police officer, uh, I forget her name. I have her name somewhere here. Uh, Cherry Jones as police officer Carolyn Paskey has to explain to him, like, the car hit your wife. <laughs> Do you understand? Are you with me? Okay. The car hits your wife in such a way that she's pinned. Are you with me? You still with me here? Like, she- yeah, it was so rude. I like watched that scene. It's kind and I was of funny. Like, yeah, it is funny, and she actually is like a very funny character throughout. Her introduction is so weird. How she just appears in his house, and, and it's clearly supposed to be this like semi jump scare tactic and then it's just so I actually really appreciate her as a character (laughs) because I think she brings a lot of like weird she's like a weird feminist too when she's talking to them about um so you saw someone jump on top of your roof a 10 foot standing leap and he's and, and Joaquin Phoenix is like this had to be a guy like I know and she's like you sure it wasn't a woman couldn't have been an Olympian could have been an Olympian there's uh, some woman that's been causing problems around town and, yeah, and even like uh, Mel Gibson has to say, "I know you're trying to make a point, but I don't know what it is." Right? I don't. There's a lot of moments in this movie that like are like that. It's funny. Like, it is, yeah, there are a lot of comedic moments for sure. Of all of the M Night Shyamalan movies, I feel like this one manages to uh, have really dramatic moments, really scary moments, and funny moments in like evenness. I feel like it's. So- self-aware of its strangeness it like there are so many moments in it that like i they're clearly trying to create some sort of atmosphere of like weird things are happening yeah. um but it, it just comes off i think now like in re-watching it as just like weird dead space like there's like yes. a lot of moment where like moments are like mel gibson walks into the house and he's contemplating life and then he turns and his children are just sitting there staring at him like that happens at least 15 times yeah, in this yeah, movie absolutely um, and they're trying to create this like weird like everyone's being affected by the aliens like oddness well, but the kids specifically like i don't know what m night Shyamalan told them because they're great actors but yeah. he told them like no 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 take all the emotion out you are robots just be deadpan the whole time yeah it's i don't and it's like as if i think they're trying to create this atmosphere if everyone is under this like spell of fear but it just comes off as i think it's like also a spell of unease because he's not a priest anymore and their mom is dead and so they feel you know like they've been tiptoeing around dad maybe for a while well that's the weird the the brother had to move in and he's like up in the attic right well yeah he has like the guest house above the garage kind of thing um which we only see once otherwise he yeah otherwise he's sleeping on the couch or something right yeah and wait (laughs) 
So he, I thought it was in the attic, but you're right. It is in a separate building, but Because his, they like run out in the beginning yeah. and like meet on the driveway. But then why is his special bat, the bat that he loved so much from when he was a minor league kid in the living room of the, of Graham Hess's house so that he can grab it and swing away when he needs to? Who knows? <laughs> um, I didn't think about that. Yeah, I think, but it, there's a lot of right weird family drama moments and there's a point like three quarters of the way through the movie that um the young boy the son like turns to his uncle and is like i wish you were my dad and i was like where did that come from i think you're i think mel gibson's doing a pretty good job and how does joaquin phoenix react how does do you remember what he says he says i don't ever want to hear you say that again Right. It's Don't so, you ever say it's just such an inappropriate response to this vulnerable, confused thing that this child just confided in you. It makes no sense. Also, I'm like, okay, well, I, they establish so so yeah. Joaquin Phoenix. I wrote down a bunch of things about him because because they establish him as such a just despicable character. He is sexist. He's uh oh, he's super strong and fast. Like I I know I know men and women, and no woman could have done this. Uh, he hates nerds when they're talking about like the crop circles and they're trying to explain to the kids like. Oh, nerds did this, and nerds don't have girlfriends, so they need to do stuff to to get attention, and this is what they do. Right. <laughs> and Abigail Breslin's like, why don't they have girlfriends? <laughs> <laughs> and that was she is the best it's part like of this, that movie, yeah. honestly. Um, uh, even like that wham line of uh, "There's a monster outside my room. Can I get a glass of water?" Like I, she's so good. So good. She's that was so one good. of the best parts of the movie. Um. Um, but yeah, the, the one moment that really highlights the the like just like hills and valleys of drama and comedy is when Mel Gibson and uh, uh, Joaquin Phoenix are sitting on the couch watching TV. The kids are asleep, and Joaquin Phoenix says like, "People are gonna think this is the end of the world." And he's like, "Yeah, do you?" Do you think that? And and then more, uh, Mel Gibson goes into this long monologue about how there are two kinds of people. Mm-hmm. There's people who believe in signs and there's people who just think it's luck. So you just got to ask yourself, what kind of person are you? And it's like this, this really heavy monologue. Literally, like maybe a beat, Joaquin Phoenix says... I tried to make out with this girl for once at a party. I tried to force myself on her, but then I took out a piece of gum, and when I turned back, she vomited all over herself. And if I hadn't taken that gum out, I'd have vomit all over me. Probably would have changed me for life. That's why God exists. <laughs> and I feel like it's an attempt to show, like, like there are two kinds of people who who do believe in signs. Some right. people who think of them really seriously, and some people think of them like, oh, I almost kissed that girl who threw up. Right. But it just comes off as, like, trite. It's like, what oh, an yeah. inappropriate response to what I just said. To well, me- I think this whole movie walks a very strange line yeah. between trying to make it about religion and not <laughs> and like yeah. so i think they keep trying to downplay like they don't want it to come off as like a religious film the but movie, it is the movie thinks it's so freaking clever for like peppering in expo- exposition I mean, and stuff about like oh I, they're probably mad because you're not a priest anymore after well you know <laughs> which <laughs> like, it's like yeah and then it's like the classic like i lost my faith in god because i lost someone important to me and like why would god do that to me and it, but then at the you end you study the bible people die that's what happens <laughs> right I, and then at the end with the son, so at the end of the movie an alien does show up vaguely kidnaps the son oh, and so then dumb. squirts weird poison <laughs> up his yeah. nose during the news so throughout the movie we learn more and more info through like news broadcasts and stuff yeah. that's coming in over the radio and TV and one of them is uh, there have been sightings of them using poison gas and like uh, one eyewitness reporter is like oh they, they beat up a family gassed them and took dragged them away and when I heard that I was like 
gas? Oh no, that's like a technology thing. Like they're actually using some kind of alien tech. No, it's it's just, like it's organic. Yeah, it's like a spider. It's like Spider Man. I thought it was gonna like, like stab him. Oh when yeah, it came out. it's um, sharp. It, yeah, it's weird. So he, it's so, so this alien person, uh, <laughs> the humanoid alien, the humanoid alien, um, poisons the sun supposedly, but the sun has asthma, that's and the twist. so that right, that's the twist, which is ridiculous. <laughs> um, and the dad is like, Mel Gibson's like, oh my god, like this is a sign because he had asthma and it protected it. I believe it got his again. lungs. That's what he said. No poison got in. His, what happens? His lungs were asthma. closed. No poison got like, in. Yeah, exactly. Don't touch him. And that's and that's God saved him and gave him asthma for this moment when we're invaded by aliens and it kidnaps the sun and puts weird poison in him. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> I was yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, we, we skipped a bunch. We skipped yes. right to the end. But, um, yeah, so it is an invasion. I mean, well, not an invasion, but aliens do exist. They they don't, like, they spend a lot of time with Mel Gibson trying to act like, well, this is just a hoax. This is, well, who do they keep thinking it was? Lionel Pritchard and the Wolfington Brothers, which sounds like a band. Right. The first time they said it, he says it like that. He's like, this sounds like Lionel Richard and the Wolfington Brothers. <laughs> and yeah. I turned to Derek at the time. I was like, oh, turn it up. I love them. <laughs> Um, uh, but yeah, it's like, it's obvious to us, the viewers that these are aliens. Cause I think it's, um, we get a shot of like India and you know, you see like the map of India and there's like 40 of them all over. Um, which again, Pennsylvania and India, two places very important to the director of this movie, um, uh, are like the main places that, uh, the aliens, uh, put their crop circles and, it isn't until uh, one night when uh, Mel Gibson goes out by himself and uh, he's like looking around and he goes out to a new crop circle and he's yelling at them like, you're not going to be famous. I'm not going to tell anyone about this hoax. Uh, drops his flashlight, picks it up. And this scared, the one where he like looks in the cornfield and the leg moves like out back See, into the... That is scary, Still right? gets me that... really good. Oh yeah, I saw that and I was like, ugh. Um, and... Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Continue. No, no. I just, uh, uh, those are the kinds of scares I love where it's like, we're looking at a long shot of something and then something that was in the shot the whole time moves like right. that kind of like gaslighting, like, Oh my God, that was there. Yeah, it yeah. happens a couple times. Um, it happens again when, uh, they're in the, the cellar or whatever. Um, and they're looking for, uh, air and, uh, Rory Culkin is standing by a vent and, uh, they, so they do one shot of him standing by the vent and, uh, He's just there. And then they cut back, and this hand that was, like, painted into the grate or whatever moves and grabs him. And it's, yeah. oh, that's so good. Um, which which brings me to, like, the physiology of the aliens. They're kind of invisible, which yeah. is a cool effect you see sometimes. That's something I forgot about because, honestly, so the, the moment in this movie that when I was a child and saw it was terrifying and, honestly, was probably the reason I was scared of everything for years um, was when they're showing that this, they have another moment of news footage. Is this and the it's Brazil? Like, in Brazil, yeah. there's a birthday party and they filmed all the kids, like, looking out the window Move screaming. Move children! Vamanos! And then there's just this, like, humanoid, like brownish black alien creature that like walks across the street and it's like really thin and skeletal and scary and it is so it is so creepy and scary and so when i was maybe like eight it must have been like right after this movie came out on like dvd or vhs or something um and 
I was like at a friend's house and her brothers, her older brothers were watching it. And she was like, oh my God, let's go watch Signs with them. And I was like, oh no, I think I'm okay. Um, and so we go downstairs, um, we're watching it and Signs is like not really that scary most it's of the slow. time. Yeah. So like I was just sitting there like, okay, I can do this. Um, and then that moment happened with the birthday party and I freaked out. <laughs> and then my friends and my friend and her brothers just thought it would be funny to torture me and literally like like forced me to stay in the basement and rewatch the like alien walking across the street at the birthday party scene like seven times. And so I was just scarred for life after what that. The? I didn't watch that movie again until I was like 21. I was like... Probably I, developed some emotional abuse of PTSD because right. that is... And then on top of that, so I I developed this fear of aliens and then associated it with corn. I mean, I think a lot of people do. I don't know because of the crop circle thing. It's something about them being too tall to see through. It's like corn is a very scary thing plant um but my so my mom's side of the family's from iowa and we would go oh, corn visit. capital of the world yes and they um have a lot of corn fields they're corn and soybean farmers and so um when i would go visit my grandparents we'd stay in this like basement room and if you like i at in the middle of the night i'd like wake up and i'd be convinced that there were aliens in the corn and i'd like stand on a chair and like look out like like the windows are like up high because it was a basement and i would like look out the window and it would just be like i would be like eye level with like all the creepily creepy like rustling stalks of corn and it was just so i was just convinced that that's there a were great shot creepy <laughs> aliens from signs that lived in corn always oh man <laughs> yeah oh my god so that's god. my history with this movie is like i was lived terrified it. <laughs> of it for years um and now i watch it and i'm like Ugh. yeah it's like an m night shaman <laughs> horror movie um yeah um, yeah, so uh, they're invisible, kind of, because when uh, uh, another funny moment when um, uh, Mel Gibson and uh, Joaquin Phoenix are uh, in their house and they think the uh, Wolfington brothers or whatever are messing with them, right. Joaquin Phoenix is like, "You got to act crazy. You got to yell and curse." And Mel Gibson's like, "Oh, explain yeah. curse," because <laughs> he's still a preacher or still a priest, you know, in heart. He's not going to swear, so he's running around the house. He's like, "I'm insane with anger." Yeah, a really is- funny. But also, who, like, if you're trying to scare someone away, is that really what you would do? I thought they were trying to catch them. Why would they want to just scare them? Because, like, some lights came on, so they would have assumed that it was their car. And if there's, like, four of them, two guys yelling and screaming isn't going to do anything. Right. It was just a bad plan. Um, yeah, it, yeah. It, it was. It was but weird. it immediately proceeded, like, that funniness of, of Mel Gibson going, like, ah, I'm insane with anger, immediately precedes the uh first well it's it's i want to say first shot of the alien but it's their first look at the alien from our perspective it, we get a pov shot from the alien's perspective on the roof looking down at them right before it like leaps 15 feet over them to the cornfield yeah which i think is so cool because as a viewer i was sitting there and i was like just like I was in pain when they're trying to explain it to the the police officer because it's like, oh, if I saw it, I'm sure I could explain. I oh, why couldn't I have seen it? Let me have seen <laughs> right. it. But we saw them seeing it, which is I I, I found it pretty unique. Yeah, for sure. Um, that's like another thing. I feel like this is partially why horror movies will just be ruined for me forever. But also the reason that I was able to start watching them in high school was that because I started studying film. I was like, I could 
if I was scared, just kind of dissect the moment and yeah. be like, okay, the camera's right here and yeah. they put lights over here There's and this is how they did the here. fake blood and like, and not be scared because I was like, this is just a movie. Whereas before that, I like didn't see it as a movie because I didn't know how it worked. Yeah. Um, well, that's and, kind of the movie's job is to, even if you can do that, kind of separate that and immerse you anyway. Right. For sure. Um, and so throughout my rewatch of Signs, I just kept thinking about, I'm like, okay, it's 2002 or they made it in 2000. 2001. They were 2001 filming is it, yeah. when they were filming it. And so like those shots, it's like drones didn't exist. They probably got a helicopter. They and did shot get a helicopter. This. There were two helicopter cameramen. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And they look like sloppy too. Right. And it's, but like the, I just started thinking about like the amount of effort all these shots took 16 years ago yeah. to make. Um, anyway, tangent, but it's interesting to, to see things from that perspective. And I was thinking about like, okay, if we made this movie now, it would, yes. I feel like, I mean, other than having to pay all of these very famous actors would cost significantly less other mm-hmm. than it would just, I feel like it, it was a very there expensive is, movie. There's I, almost no visual effects. The yeah. aliens show up for maybe like 20 seconds of screen time. And it's right. usually practical, like with the hand and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a drama. It's a character piece. Right. Which is really fun to watch. Like, don't get me wrong. This is a great movie. I, I, I didn't expect it to be as good as it was. Cause I can, I can literally like jump back in time to when I watched this as a kid and remember how bored I was with some of these scenes. Like, Oh my God, they're just, talking but you know now that i'm older and wiser and more right. intelligent i can listen to these uh things and uh really appreciate it hold on yeah sorry oh no worries so uh, I, I wrote down a couple of things in my notes here that I wanted to specifically mention. Um, let's see. We already talked about the cop in the house and Lionel Pritchard and the Wolfgang Brothers. Oh, the dog. Um, so they have two German shepherds, the oh, Hess yeah. family, uh, Houdini and... Uh, Isabella. Isabella, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so in screenwriting, there's there's a thing about, you know, the, the trope of kill the dog, which, you know, like in John Wick is a way to establish that someone is so evil and so beyond help that they will kill a dog. And that means that they're clear and free to be murdered themselves in some horrible way. Sure. This is subverted in this movie because Rory Culkin has to kill Houdini out of self-defense. Right. Uh, there's like some mentions that because of the aliens here, all animals in town are acting like a predators around. Right. Um, and uh, we see Abigail Breslin and Rory Culkin trying to give water to Houdini, who's growling. And that scene is really freaky. It's yeah. Abigail Breslin. She's like seven or something. And, and Rory Culkin kids. And the dog sounds like it's really growling like yeah and yeah right there i feel i think abigail Breslin's maybe like five was she really she's so little she like, is really I can't, little in that. Uh, like yeah she must oh, i should have looked that up yeah. Uh, um yeah i feel like she could not right and like i feel like she's not that much younger than me Maybe we're the same age, and if it was 2002, she would have, or they filmed it in 2001, she was like five. Wow. Yeah. She does a great job. So good. She's so good. All the water, also. <laughs> she, so Abigail Breslin's character has this weird thing about water that she, which ends up also being another twist at the end of the movie, um, where she just doesn't like to drink tap water and leaves glasses of it everywhere. Well, it's like it gets old. It, she'll start she, it, she'll fill a whole glass, drink half of it, and then leave it somewhere. Right. And then the, one of the, my favorite 
moments is like Mel Gibson comes in and is like, why can't you drink these? And she's like, hair, dust, yeah. amoebas. Yeah, j- <laughs> uh, yeah uh, my brother, brother drank it and it has amoebas. Morgan. Yeah, Morgan drank it and it has his amoebas in it. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a kid thing. It's such a, but it's real. I mean, I think I definitely had like seven glasses of water on my nightstand as a child. And it was the same thing that I was like, well, there's dust in it yeah. now, Mom. Or there's, there's cat hair in it now. I can't right. drink it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, but I thought that was so interesting because uh, he they have to kill the dog. He does it out of self-defense, but it's all off screen. You don't hear anything. They didn't scream at all. The dog doesn't like bark or anything. No. Like what kind of child doesn't scream when the dog is like attacking well, them? But that's the other weird thing. Another weird line that happens in this movie is that Mel Gibson or him and the police officer are talking and then the police officer keeps calling him father because he is a, a priest, right? Yeah. And, um, and then... And he's like, don't call me father. And then he's like, what's I wrong? can't hear. And she's like, what's wrong? And I was, he was like, I can't hear my kids anymore. And it, then it was like a weird conflation <laughs> of entendre, like, yeah. yeah, it's like, I'm not a father anymore because I don't hear my children. I was like, this is a lot. Oh, like, so clever. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, uh, and so uh, Ray Reddy, the guy who killed his wife, shows up. They decide to go to town to get some pizza. Um, and Joaquin Phoenix goes to an army recruiter for no reason to talk to him and uh, we find out that Meryl uh, Joaquin Phoenix was a, a minor league baseball star right? Uh, and he has got five uh, like records under his belt and one strikeout record as we see Lionel Pritchard Sands the Wolfington Brothers played by Michael Showalter a very distracting role for anybody who knows Michael Showalter from uh, the state or um, uh, uh, Stella fame but he's got like that uh uh, leather vest or whatever and he's got tattoos on his shoulders and he's filling out a, a army recruitment thing just to like just so we know who Lionel Pritchard is never shows up again doesn't really matter just so that we know he exists but then when they go back to eat pizza Ray Reddy is just walking by and they all like <laughs> they all just seem really uncomfortable that Abigail's the only one that's like who is that <laughs> right and all of us are like who is that and nothing's explained until like probably like 40 minutes later <laughs> until the second flashback and yeah. we see him he's sitting on the side of the road and we're like oh that's why right like otherwise it's like oh they're all ex-lovers <laughs> yeah it's really it or they're just like i feel like it just comes off in like a really weird way of yeah. like this stranger in this town it's supposed to be foreshadowing but it just comes off as weird it's yeah. so strange because when they finally capitalize on it um so ray reddy got uh an alien an alien like came into his house and he was right. able to fight it off and lock it into his pantry and after doing so didn't call 911 but instead just dialed fled. seven numbers to call uh graham hess right to, to hang up on him but he said uh, and when he when Graham Hess shows up, Mel Gibson to talk to him, he's like, I, I didn't know who else to call. Your number was right there next to the phone because I wanted to uh, uh, to say I'm sorry, but I just never did. Right. And so he's been sitting in his car all night with all of his stuff packed, ready to tell, waiting here, hoping that <laughs> Graham will have heard that strange phone call and come here. Yeah, it's yeah. Just so he can so. 
it's it's super meta. Ray Reddy is the guy that took his wife away and also took his faith away and basically sent Graham down this entire premise that the movie exists for. Ray Reddy also happens to be the director and the writer and the producer. So in a way, he is God and he right. did take his family away and yeah. he did take his faith away and all yes. of this stuff. So I, I find that like... I feel like I'm doing way too much of his job of um, M Night Shyamalan's job for him, but I think that's that's pretty cool to do that. What's not cool is to have that same character also deliver the key foreshadowing way to defeat the aliens of coming down from high and saying, "Hey, main character, they don't like water. Gotta go." Right. It's so frustrating that give that to anyone else. Give that to like a news broadcaster or even the cop. Or- yeah. Well, but it's it is kind of this thing that is mentioned throughout like earlier on in the movie they're like oh i don't think that they like water because of the news like i feel like there's some sort of thing where they're like oh we're gonna move to the lake i also could have just like i like skim watched it in the recent watch so i could have fast forwarded too much seen that part and then gone backwards and thought it happened before but i feel like they do keep i mean they mention the water because of abigail breslin's like water thing yeah you know it's gonna come up at some point but i feel like Maybe that does happen after where Joaquin Phoenix is like, but I think there's some line in the beginning where they like mention they're like, maybe you should move towards a lake before M. Night Shyamalan's character says anything about it. I know the scene you're referring to. It's when they do their little vote, right? Maybe. That's right after. Because cause he, oh, cause he okay, says, okay. I'm going to the lake. I think they don't like water. Uh, I've trapped one in my pantry. Urgh, drives off. Right, um, right. And uh, then he, uh, then Mel Gibson goes into the house and uh, he does the knife thing. So like this has right. become a trope. I've seen this shot a bunch of times of yeah, a character yeah. looking into a knife and uh, the reflection to like look under a door or something. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, that scare too, where the alien like claws out under him and he has to chop off its fingers. Right. It's, and that was the scene that like confused me. It doesn't me. land right away. Yeah. I was like, why? Because it, it's also shot really weird where it's yeah. kind of like shaky and blurry and you're like, what is that? A, I thought for, I watched it twice and I was like, is that a human hand? Yeah. Like, and, but it's just that the, so the aliens are like chameleons and they can camouflage to whatever is around them, which yeah. is another twist. Uh, it's kind of cool. It is cool. And it's something I forgot was the case because all I ever thought about science was the scary moment where the Great. alien's walking across and it's not, which in that moment I'm like, why isn't the alien camouflage? It definitely should be. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> but no, scary so i forgot that that was a thing and and then i realized the alien's hand in that scene where it comes under the door is camouflaged to look like the brick yeah um and then that is the same is alien still confusing. at the end For, uh, with God. the fingers so it's like every coincidence that you want to throw up to this movie and go like jesus really it all has to come together that's the movie the whole overarching theme and twist of the movie is that god is the master Chekhov's gun and that everything he has ever done or ever will do will come back in some way and it'll all make sense right from the final last words that his wife said to him about swinging away and all that oh stuff my God. that was too much <laughs> to I was the like, water bottles it's so oh my god um 
So, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry, I, I want to get to that, but uh, I want to talk about that baby monitor thing that they do throughout the movie. Oh, it's yeah. really clever. It and, is clever. And it, it sets up for a lot of, like, there's no big scares, but it does set up a lot of unease when you're watching it. For it's sure. Just, like, the clicking and stuff. It's the noise yeah, that they, the aliens that sound make. Design. And then Mel Gibson hears it again when he's in that scene where he's by himself in yeah. the cornfields. And I'm like, that is so creepy. It sounds like almost Predator, like that, <laughs> right, yeah, like right. cicadas or whatever. Yeah. Um, but they use it a couple of times and the first time where they are climbing like on top of the car it feels very like steven spielberg-y where they're like uh, oh we got to figure this out uh i don't want you climbing on top of the car honey and then we all need to be linked together to like right. ground it and like get a signal or up there it's really fun it, yeah uh, it's such so, so, it's such a simple thing it's like we are here we got to get on top of the car but they he makes the scene so like like family fun it's fun to watch right um Let's see. Yeah, we already mentioned the Brazil footage. Uh, I wish you were my dad. Uh, yeah, so I guess we can just skip right to the end, which is, um, so Abigail Breslin leaves water all over the house. Meryl, the uh, Joaquin Phoenix, has a baseball record and a baseball bat hanging on the wall. Uh, what, what are some of the others? Oh, uh, Rory Culkin has asthma. Um, all of these things are really important, and God gave them, God gave Abigail Breslin an aversion to hair and water so that they could spill it and knock it on the aliens and kill them. Right. God gave uh, Meryl uh, an amazing batting, av- or an amazing, like, uh, swing speed or whatever but a terrible record so that he would end up at this house to beat up the aliens he gave uh rory culkin asthma so that he wouldn't get poison when that happened and he killed his wife so that he so that god himself could speak through his wife and give him all the information he needed and the reason i say that is because it's at the very end when uh, we find out what her final words were she says tell graham to see tell him to see, even though she's talking to Graham, and it's right. been established that she's lucid and not experiencing a lot of pain, and the way I interpreted that was it is God himself telling her to tell Graham, and she's going, you know, it's like when you go, oh, I wanted to say happy birthday and nothing else, and the banner says, I wanted to say happy birthday and nothing else, instead of just happy birthday. It's like a miscommunication of him saying, tell Graham to see, and she goes, tell Graham to see, is how right, I interpreted right. it. Um, but the funny thing is, when you think of this movie in like a broader context of like what's going on within this sci-fi created world, it's like God put in all this effort for him to just save his family. But the aliens aren't gone at the end of the no. movie. There's and- just a dead alien in their house, but like they're still destroying the rest of the world, and, and- they could still come back. Well, they did. They do say that they're leaving, like for no reason, and it's right. kind of like a War of the Worlds kind of thing where they realize that the air is killing them and that there's 71 percent of acid on this planet, uh, right? And it's it- sentient species can spit acid and sweat acid <laughs> right but it's like so str- because you'd think that god would come down and be like this is how you get the aliens to leave and instead he's like here's how you save your son one random man in pennsylvania <laughs> um, that okay so yeah this is god this is the real story god uh is god and uh he sees that this guy has faith and a happy family and he's loving life let's fix that i'm gonna get rid of his wife and get rid of his family wait a few years send aliens and 
and then give him his faith back. Right. Yeah, it's it's a lot. Um, like, no you, wonder Mel Gibson loved this script. Are you a religious person? I don't want to be offensive. Oh, I no, I, I'm not. I mean, I actually... You don't have actually, to say what you are. It's just, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I mean, I actually grew up practicing Buddhism, so oh. I definitely am not religious in terms of, like, believing in God in any yeah, way. Yeah, this, like, hard Catholic belief, like, right. it's vengeful like, God. Definitely. Um, I mean, it's something I am aware. I grew up in a very, like... Catholic area. Sure. Um, there's definitely like Parts of nine Boston, churches in my town of okay. 15,000 people. Um, <laughs> yeah, something like that. There's a lot of churches in my town. But um, and like everyone went to like, what is that after? There's like after school Bible study. It's like Bible study, but for children. Um, anyway, but um, yeah, so I'm like aware of the ideas of Catholicism and Christianity, but I don't practice them. Well, because it's like the title has two meanings, signs. It's referring to the crop circle signs. Um, I mean, M. Night Shyamalan gave this quote in an interview. One is the crop signs, but it's also about faith and the existence of signs from above. Duh. But thank you, right. M. Night. <laughs> <laughs> right. But yeah, because the signs are obviously the physical crop circles and stuff, uh, which were a thing. I don't remember like what era, if it was the 80s or uh, later, but I remember hearing about crop circles and them uh, revealing that it was a hoax. It was like several people yeah, doing them. Right. Um, it definitely, then, I feel like, has always been this kind of like horror thriller trope that's existed of aliens and crop circles. And, and it's always done in one of two ways. Either they're real and the alien are crop circles or yeah. it's a hoax and right. it's like some kid or uh <laughs> i remember on invader zim they they did one where it was like oh we found crop circles and it was just a cow rolling around oh yeah <laughs> it's such a oh, did you watch invader zim i did watch it when Freaking i was love that yeah, can't yeah. wait for it to come back it's coming it's, back oh my god mm-hmm. another one <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 um so uh that kind of brings me to some of the overarching themes of this movie one of them being uh that the scariest thing is that a man could lose connection with God, is that a good man could lose his faith, is kind of like the real fear, the real adult mm-hmm. fear beyond the aliens and stuff. Um, but you're right. There are aliens literally all over the world in clusters. Like we right. see the footage of lights that couldn't be mistaken for anything else. Then they disappear, but they're still there because like a bird hits it or whatever. So we know they're invisible. Yeah. But the scariest thing is a man losing his connection with God. Oh, for sure. This like <laughs> random man in rural Pennsylvania. <laughs> um, uh, the aliens are really stupid. Sorry, I want to I want to sidetrack a little bit though. If they're capable of interstellar travel. And technology that can get them all the way here, but they can't open doorknobs. <laughs> yeah, and and they can jump like fifteen feet in the air. Yeah, and, like, all, which are they strong the or end, light? I don't know. I I guess we have to choose to believe light because at the end when he's like hitting the alien with his baseball bat, it's the not alien flying is across just, the room. I know it's just like cool. I'll just take these hits. Like, like it, it seems dense. Try. Yeah, yeah. Um, they aren't. I feel like the aliens were kind of like just a device to write portray the whole god thing yeah. but then weren't ultimately thought through no because it's like if, if you separate the the story like if, if it's safe to assume that this entire universe doesn't actually revolve around this family that there actually are other people in this world doing things then why are the aliens here what what did they why did they come what was their goal? Right. And why did they leave? Why did they leave all of a sudden? Is that part of the fear? There's like one news report at the end that, say, that said somewhere in the world uh, they created some sort of like, there was like a battle between humans and the aliens and that's partially why they left. That they like, like... they There's there's a uh, like a throwaway line where they say, um, uh, 
somewhere they they created a primitive way to defeat the aliens. We don't have any more information at this right. time. Like, it it sounds have... like people who like live in the Amazon and don't communicate with other societies just yeah. all of a sudden like Some rose pygmies. up and fought the aliens and then disappeared again. Like, Where's that right. movie? Right. I want to watch that movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> of the Ewoks taking down aliens. Right. <laughs> it just is so... I don't even. Yeah, um, so I don't know what the aliens are doing. Uh, I I think they abducted some people. There's some like references. The army recruitment guy implies that it's like uh, reconnaissance that they're just scoping that, the place out. Yeah, that's not really, what I was thinking. Yeah, right. They just like came down to see what's up with Earth, and then honestly, Science Two is probably coming down the line. I don't line. want to watch Science Two. Me or is either. it going to be about um, another person losing his faith? <laughs> God, yeah. So yeah, faith. One of the main themes is that. Everything, even if it seems bad at the time, is a Chekhov's gun planned by God. Um, and that he lost his faith, and he was always going to get his faith back as a result of aliens coming. To, it was all preordained that everything in this world, according to the script and everything, is uh, God works in mysterious ways kind of world. Right. Um, and that, I mean, I, we've already gone over it. It's the It plays into all of those little things. What bothers me is that they all happen at the same freaking time. That they're not spaced out and made like, whoa, maybe there is a connection. It's like, no, obviously there's a connection because all six of them are happening like boom, boom, boom. Right. Which I guess is like kind of his style of the twist is like at the end, it all happens and it's a huge twist because I think especially in this movie. Yeah. Made to feel big, like Uh, one big one. Right. So it's like if this is your movie directly following The Sixth Sense, which is like one of the most impressive twists of all time in movies, I think like maybe he just felt like I feel like he was really grasping for straws to be like how do I one up this yeah. in this movie that otherwise has been very grounded and how impossible what a difficult thing to task yourself with right he's gone on record saying this was the easiest film he's written produced and directed I don't know what he means by that but he said it's the <laughs> most popcorny film and the easiest one to make that he's ever done hmm. it is very like you don't really the, go anywhere exactly yeah. I think it's the very small cast size and the really easy sets it's there's like so four contained. locations right which is why like with the technology we have now like they made that movie was like 70 million dollars to make and now i feel like anyone could make it for like 200k it was a 72 million dollar budget you want to guess how much it made domestic and international i looked it up oh uh it made over 400 million dollars which would never happen that's crazy (laughs) um yeah. Wait, how much did A Quiet Place make if we're comparing these numbers? Hmm, that's a good uh, question because A Quiet Place is kind of a fun legacy movie for this. It's yeah. again about a you know global invasion, but focused on uh, just a family and how they're going to survive it. Right. Um, and that actually, I think, I was thinking about that today. Um, in my rewatch of Signs, I was thinking of A Quiet Place a lot and then kind of the use of children in horror movies. Yes. Um, I'm not Shyamalan specifically loves pairing adults with children. Yeah, I think it both gives, obviously, like kids are scared of more things, but it also gives a really like grounded reactions to things because kids don't like mess around. They just say what they're thinking, yeah. whereas like adults are constantly like, that can't be a ghost. And, and the kids a- are like, it's a ghost. Yeah. <laughs> you and know? it gives adults that key into their inner child. 
Right, yeah. for sure. Um, so you kind of get both reactions. You get the sensible adult who's like, hmm, I don't know about this. So people can identify with either him or the kid who's like, this is real. I got tinfoil on my head. Right. <laughs> which is another fun thing that they do. It's that like, so they fun. can't read our mind. Yeah. Which I'm pretty sure is a, it's a conspiracy theory thing. Like that's usually how you dress up a, a crackpot person. Like, uh, yeah. A Quiet Place, uh, total domestic gross was $188 million. So signs made like three times as well, that much was, almost. That was domestic. So total oh, uh, oh, $340 million. So yeah, okay. about $100 still, million dollars less. Yeah, which is crazy. It's crazy. It, yeah. I, I wonder if that's because it has a lot more to compete with. Well, Back that's in 2002, what I think. You I could think only if, go to the movies. I think if you made a movie like Signs Now, it would make like $4. Like yeah. it would not. <laughs> and it would depend heavily on where you released it. Uh, if right. it was a full theaters or if it was on Netflix. Or, For sure. Which yeah. is another thing I realized working in acquisitions and like indie film distribution is, I mean, now there's so much competition. And honestly, I kind of wish we still were in a filmmaking time like the early 2000s because everything gets so lost. Mm -hmm. And it is, I mean, everyone was talking about A Quiet Place and it still didn't make as much money as Signs did in 2002. Like, um, but right, it's like, right. But there's no, there's too much competition. People expect a lot more out of horror movies now. And yet horror has a huge fan base. Like I... I went to Comic-Con in New York when I was at IFC and I was working in like the IFC midnight booth and we awesome. had all of our Blu-rays late of all of our horror movies laid out on the table. And I had just started working at IFC. So honestly, I'd seen like three of them and every, like all the horror fans would come up and be like, Oh my God, like what movies do you have? And I, or what do you recommend? And I just kept being like, uh, the Babadook and <sighs> Autopsy of Jane Doe. Um, because of Babadook is seen. so good. It's so good. Um, but they would be like, oh, I actually own all of these Blu-rays already of like every horror movie that we had ever released. Like horror fans are hardcore and they don't care whether it's good or bad. It's just like this like love of the fact that it exists, I feel like. I feel like uh, for some people, it's that visceral scare, like that endorphins or the emotions that they really look for and they almost don't care if the story is makes sense or is really grounded. Right. So it's kind of, I feel like horror is kind of in this weird place where nothing is going to shine like it would have previously if it had a like theatrical release like Signs did. Yeah. But it, it is like people just consume it more than ever. It's like it is the easiest genre to get made in my yeah. opinion um well it's a lot cheaper because uh, ideally you don't need big name people because everybody's gonna die uh, right. you don't need to hire like amazing writers since no. there it's just a one-off there's probably not gonna be a big franchise right exactly like um, saw doesn't get made you know like saw came out in i think like 2005 and at the time i didn't think it was gonna be anything i just freaking loved the movie and that script and right. now we've got eight movies later and a reboot and all that nonsense but that doesn't happen like oh right one percent yeah right and it's like even if it is not so great people tend to watch it anyway yes yeah. is because of that intense horror fan base um that yes. if it's Halloween, it must be Saw. They just got to keep cranking them out because right. there's a, a waiting fan base with money that will pay for it. Yeah, know? no, for sure. Um, yeah, we're kind of at like a weird place with movies in general and horror in that sense. Yeah. Um, uh, so extraterrestrials, a weakness to water, which has kind of become a trope in itself. Um, it, it went. Uh, it, it kind of follows Unbreakable, uh, which the uh, lead character played by Bruce Willis again. His weakness is water, um, and Lady in the Water, that being a thing. I, I think he like 
it's not about villainizing water. It's just about like the, the power of it. Is, is that right. what he's trying to put forward? I don't know. That's kind of a stretch. I'm getting to the bottom of the barrel of my themes here. <laughs> All good. I mean, yeah, definitely the religious aspect is the true theme. Yeah. Um, well, cool. It looks like we're uh, almost out of time here. We are getting to the... Uh, an, uh, we already did the analysis. Now we're going to talk about what we thought about the movie. Uh, here on The Gory Days, we like to rate our movies on a scale of one to five thumbs. One being the worst and five being the best. What did you think of Signs, Allie? Um, so I tried to think of it in both the context of like if I had... Well, I guess I did see it when it came out pretty much uh, versus now, I think. <laughs> and I looked at ratings online and it was like pretty highly rated at the time um and so i think at the time i probably would have given it like a like a four thumbs and but i think now it it falls into the like two and a half thumbs (laughs) range in my opinion final answer yeah i'd say that's my final answer it's still i still like enjoyed it and but there's just so many moments that are comical and don't mean to be i still was scared of the aliens i think test of time uh at the end when like at the end when the alien actually shows up in their house it's like a little like but then it like looks at you and it has like a creepy like blank face but then these like intense eyes and that is i think still scary um but i think because also all that happens during the day it's like I don't know. I don't think it stands the test of time. So that's why my rating has gone lower, but it's still a fun movie. Cool. And traditionally, we like to assign those thumbs to characters in the movie. So who do you give those thumbs to? Those two and a half. Oh, oh man. Um, I feel like Abigail Wrestling does like two of the thumbs. Awesome. And then um, uh, Mel Gibson probably is the other half thumb. He does a pretty good job. He does a good job, but I feel like we should have said this earlier. Mel Gibson is a terrible person. Mel Gibson is an anti-Semite. Mel Gibson is a bigot. He should not be allowed to be in Daddy's Home 2 or any other future movies. We are not so creatively bankrupt that we have to resort to bigots and anti-Semites for our entertainment. There are plenty of people who are more talented and more reasonable uh, that deserve those roles. Mel Gibson's a bad person. This was a great movie. At the time, he had just started his descent into his despicableness um it was two years after this that passion of the christ came out and cemented his evil so uh yeah i'm sorry i just wanted to get that out of the way i feel like i should have said that much earlier mel gibson's a bad person this was a good movie separating the two 2002 very different world but yeah yeah i actually did not know that about mel gibson i feel like i just have not really paid attention to him oh yeah life but i concur if that is the case yes he's gone on i mean on record he was arrested uh and uh, to the police officer accused her of being jewish and uh mocked her for it and said that all jews are bad and all kinds of stuff it's all on tape you can watch the youtube video he also berated his daughter on camera um while he was drunk yeah okay i I take that back mel gibson gets no thumbs also (laughs) i didn't I, like, he did an okay job, but, like, it wasn't really until the end when his son almost dies that I was like, you're showing a real emotion yeah. here. Otherwise, he's pretty. But Abigail Breslin is so good at this movie. She, it very much so reminded me of, um, like, a Drew Barrymore E.T. moment. Totally. Yeah. Oh, and that, yes, this movie has a bunch of, like, E.T. homages, kind of. Yeah. Like, when Meryl throws his baseball into the corn, you kind of expect it to come back. That's just what like I E.T. thought. Yeah. 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 Yep. Um, that I was literally waiting for that moment when I saw, and I don't even think I connected it to E.T. I thought I was like, oh, this happens in signs. Um, but yeah, that someone throws something into somewhere, gives up on it, but then it comes out. Right. Yeah. But it's just like, it is a fun little homage. Yeah. Yeah. 
So cool. Two and a half thumbs. What about you? What are your thoughts? Oh, so Signs, 2002. I really like M. Night Shyamalan, even though he's done some bad Avatar movies and all of that stuff. I do respect him as a writer-director. I I always have respect for somebody who is able to make a movie like off of something that they wrote rather than the... I mean, I I feel like a lot is to gain from the relationship between a writer and a director, but when they're the same person, there's there's so much. You're seeing their vision of their story, which is, is hard to get to when it's a director telling... J.K. Rowling's story. Right. Um, <laughs> I, I think she wrote Fantastic Beasts, right? The newest one. That's why it's so bad. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, Test of Time. I am not scared by the Brazil shot, and I hate to say it. that It's just Fair. I'm too old, and that shot is so famous, and I've seen it in GIFs uh, gifts so many times, and yeah, it's just, yeah. That said, some of the other scares really do get me. The leg leaving the, mm-hmm. the corn, the hand going on Rory Culkin. I love the design of the aliens. I, I hate that they're humanoid, but what are you going to do? Um, I mean, like, uh, their skin. It's like, uh, it's, uh, I, don't, I don't know if that's a thing in like nature but they reflect what's on the other side of them there's one shot where abigail breslin screams and you see her screaming yeah. in the skin of the alien it's really cool it's really cool it's, so things like that yeah i yeah. really i still appreciate um and story-wise it is tight uh, it's a very small cast and it's very dramatic with these characters that that even when they like don't have a ton of stuff to do, they have a lot of emotion to go through and a lot of growing together. The kids, I like Abigail Breslin, and I wish she was given more to do emotionally and, and character-wise. Otherwise, she, she's kind of just there to say silly things and to put the glasses around the house. Um, but they're great. I love watching all of them. So, Oh, and Meryl and uh, Joaquin Phoenix is a terrible person a great character for that. And I'm thinking as I was watching it, I was like, wow, I never thought about writing a character that I hate that, that is like so antithetical to the other characters that they feel that much more real. Cause oh, they're, they're so mm. gross. So mm-hmm. I respect all of that. Um, yeah. So with all of that said, the theme of, uh, of religion falls flat on me. I respect it, but as a storytelling tactic for the sake of six tiny twists mounting up to a good one, it uh, does not make the movie better, in my opinion. Um, so I'm going to give it uh, three thumbs. That's fair. Yeah. And I'm going to give uh, one of those thumbs to uh, Isabella, the dog. Uh, she gets okay. a little dew claw. Um, I'd give one to Houdini, but he was a bad, bad boy. Um, the I'll give a second thumb to the army r- recruitment guy uh, who uh, was like so impressed with Joaquin Phoenix uh, Major League Baseball records until he hears the one record of his strikeout and then he's like practically disgusted with him um, and the last one I'll give to Lionel Pritchard that he can share with the Wolfington brothers as they go on tour this summer um, and that's the movie. That's Signs from 2002. So uh, before we say goodbye, is there? Uh, uh, do you want to mention one more time where we can find you online? For sure. Uh, yeah, you can find me on my website, AllieWeinstein.com. Um, A-L-I is how I spell Allie. You can also find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, at Allie Black Bear, all one word, like the animal. Um, so it's A-L-I Black Bear. Um, and yeah, that's that's where I'm at. Very cool. So uh, I promised myself I wouldn't get into it, but here we go. Weinstein. Do you get that a lot? All the time. <laughs> all the time. That's a shame. Uh, it's less now than it was like last winter. Yeah. It was really bad then. Um, but before that, was it good? 
It was, yeah, people always, people wouldn't mention it too often, but before anything happened and came out about Harvey Weinstein, um, they would occasionally at parties, like if I was at like an industry thing wow. or networking, they'd be like, oh, haha, are you related to the Weinsteins? Um, and you're not, and, right? No, 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 I'm not. Weinstein is like, someone said this to me the other day, they're like, the Weinstein to like Judaism is like Smith to like Christianity. <laughs> like they're like everyone, every Jewish person on earth has the last name Weinstein. Um, so uh, that's an exaggeration, but it's a very common Jewish last name. And um, yeah, so people used to mean it as a good thing and and I would always be like haha sure and and then obviously like things went very badly and then now it's yeah not I mean I so people I didn't even know were like messaging me on like Instagram and Facebook asking about it people I would get called this is when I was still at IFC so I think I mean, people obviously knew I wasn't related. Like, they just think it's this weird, like... People hope. Funny, curious thing. Um, but people who were calling for my boss, who had never even talked to me and had just, like, emailed me and seen my name, would ask me if I was related. Like, and I was like, are you kidding me? You're, like, calling for the executive of acquisitions at IFC Films. And to you're get a asking, scoop? Right. To, like, in your... Like, it just was very unprofessional. So it's been happening a lot, but um, that's better now. It does suck. It's uh, not a fun thing. But um, it's better now than it was. I think a lot of people were like, oh, haha, I'll ask, because she also works at a very prominent indie film company. Um, but it really... And I'm like... And I always think I'm like, okay, if you ask and I was like, oh, yeah, I am related, what would you say? Yeah, what's next? Like, exactly. Like, have you prepped for that? <laughs> I've thought about doing that occasionally. Um, to say yeah. <laughs> but I also just... Am He's like my so uncle. <laughs> oh, god that's and people say that all the time as the thing i should say which is funny but um yeah i, I but know. then i'm like i don't even want to like no. tempt fate with that because i think he's a despicable horrendous person yeah. um but it has been like a very frustrating thing in this industry and i've thought down the line of adopting a stage name but i ha- i figure if i get like a manager or like when i get a manager or an agent for acting um and they feel it's necessary i've come up with a few stage names but um i don't know i also kind of just like own it sure, <laughs> like it's sure. my name yeah not yeah their and name eventually exactly people will forget and you'll be the next weinstein well hopefully Woo. not the next weinstein <laughs> well yeah, well, yeah <laughs> in yeah, terms yeah. of having the good part good fame yes. <laughs> um yes not yeah, abusing yeah. your power well i'm glad yes. we got the right weinstein in here thanks a lot for thank coming you. yeah of course the thank you days. The Corey days.